0: See you this morning. Um, what a blessing it is to be here. Uh, I read in the bulletin uh, my introduction about being an avid uh, bear hunter. And just for clarification, I think you put it in there I did not kill the bear with my bare hands. But um, stalking a, uh, a bear, a black bear in, in Alaska with a, with a stick and a string. Um, getting within about 30 yards of it definitely gives you, uh, gives you somewhat of a, of a rush. We, we actually do a, a hunt there every year. Uh, a man in our church uh, owns a bow manufacturing company, and he takes uh, people from the bow industry um, on hunts. He does it for business, but I go along, and this is like heaven for a preacher that, uh, that loves to hunt because we do a Bible study in the morning, and most of these, most of these individuals don't know Christ, so we study the Word in the morning, and then I send them out in the woods with animals that can eat them, with a stick and a string, to think about it the rest of the day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is just... It, I mean, it couldn't be, couldn't be any better. And um, uh, Nathan, thank you for, for the invitation and the kind words. We, we love you, brother. Uh, Timberlake Baptist Church greets you uh, this morning. And we're, uh, we're delighted uh, to be here. Sadly, I'll not be preaching from one of the Gospels uh, this morning. As I considered what to, what to share with you, I guess I would just begin by saying, I know you don't know me, um, so what would I want you to know about me before I share the word with you? I would say, I would say three things. Um, I didn't come to know Christ until I was 24 years of age. So sadly, I know what life is like apart from apart from Christ. So the first thing I would say to you is um, that I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. The second thing I would say to you is is lived that way, and also being proved out in in the study of the of, of the Word. Uh, my opinion doesn't matter. What I think doesn't matter. Um, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. It is the it's the pillar. Uh, and ground of truth that the that the church is the pillar and ground of truth, and it holds up the, the scriptures. And and thirdly, I would say to you is as, as I love the church. Um, I love the church because Christ shed His blood for every one of you here this morning um, that know Him as as Savior. And so I want to share uh, a message with you this morning about about the church. This is a special day. Um, it's a special moment for me to be able to be here. Um, you're transitioning, installing a, a, a new pastor. But really, ultimately, this morning, while it's about those, those immediate things, about, um, about Woodhaven, about uh, Pastor Nathan, about the elders here and everything else, it's ultimately about Jesus Christ and about, about His church. Sixty-three years is a long time. Sixty-three years to be faithful uh, to the Word and I would pray for 163 if Jesus if Jesus tarries. And I can vividly remember hearing a sermon by Dr. Alex Montoya, who was, who was one of my professors and Nathan's as, as well at, at TMS. And he's known as a pastor... Um, and he's also known for planting churches in in uh, in Southern California. My memory serves me correctly. he's planted like seventeen churches and, and this is not like mega church situation where they're just sending a lot of people out this is you know this is uh, your size our size and um, I, I can remember uh, someone asking him in a q and a after the after the sermon what was the secret what's the secret to to the success and and, and he said well God plants the churches. Our responsibility is obedience and to prepare the laborers for, for his harvest. And then he said something that, that I've never forgotten. He paused and, and he said in this, uh, this very thick Mexican accent. By the way, I hope you'll be able to understand me this morning. I hope it's evident, it's probably evident already that I am from below the Mason-Dixon line. And I may say y'all a couple times, okay? He said... And when you send them, when you send the the labors into the harvest, when you send them, send your best, not your junk. That's what he said. Most churches want to keep the best workers and the faithful servants that God raises up to work in their own fields. But God wants wants us to send our best to work in his field. Send your best, not your junk. Well, I would just say to you this morning, that's exactly what I believe we have done at at Timberlake in sending Nathan and Bethany Williams and their family to you. You you have called a pastor, and we have sent a faithful laborer. And um, I could not commend uh, this couple to you, Nathan in particular, uh, with any higher praise than what I'm getting ready to say. I have placed my family under his preaching and shepherding. And as you men in here as fathers understand how significant uh, of a responsibility that is. This couple is very dear to us and, and they will serve you well. Um, and we don't do that because we, we love our people any less. Uh, it pains us from a human standpoint to, to see them go. But we do that because Christ loves His church more. And the church of Jesus Christ is not a program or a building. It is the people of God that he is purchased with his own blood. In fact, the church is what is, is, what is real. All this other stuff is, is just, just trappings, okay? Spurgeon said, The world is all scaffolding, and the church of Christ is the true building. Spurgeon had a way of saying things, didn't he? Calvin said, The whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power. But the church is the orchestra. I love that. The church is of profound importance. It's not nice. It's necessary. God ordained the church. There is no plan B. As messed up as we are with with, uh, the hangover that's left from the fall, even being regenerate, even being indwelled in the Holy Spirit, even the promise that, that God will even complete our sanctification, this is God's plan. You're participating in it this morning and because in the church all of the fullness of God dwells God has exalted his church and and he loves his church and so this morning I'm going to do something a, a little bit a little bit different you won't find it any different because you're not used to the way that I preach but I'm going to I'm going to spend I've got 30 minutes I'm going to spend about 25 minutes on the introduction and then about 5 minutes on the sermon I really am and you're going to hopefully see how it all ties together. But but in the introduction, I want to show you just the just what God says about His church. And there are really reasons. There are going to be five of them. There are really five reasons why you should love the church. And then in the end, what I'm going to end with, the actual sermon part, is showing you how Jesus Himself specifically expresses His love for his, his church so I'm going to be in a, a number of different passages uh, you can turn there or I'll read them uh, if you want to but as your bulletin says we're, we're ultimately going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 um, so I'm going to start in Colossians 1 with the first reason that, that you should that you should love the, the church and its significance. It's one of the most Christ-exalting passages in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, or Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. it describes something significant. It says that the church is Christ's body. And I know we use that term all time. This is the body of Christ. But when you understand in Colossians, I mean, this is like the, one of the Mount Everest passages. The, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. As Paul normally does, he... He explains all of the doctrine and the theology before he gets to the implications of that, or how you apply that in life, and and he is just just waxing eloquent about about Christ and and who he is, and and, and he says something about the church. There, it's one of the most one of the most Christ exalting passages in the Bible, and the church is right in the middle of it. Look at verse fifteen. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. There's creation. And he explains what he means by that in verse 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. They all hold together. And look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the, the preeminence. The verse 15, there's this, there's uh, the, the image, the exact likeness of the invisible God as Christ. He is the creator, ruler over all creation. Everything was made for him. All the creatures are under him. He's the eternal God in verse verse 17. He's before all things. All things hold together in in, in Him. And then in verse 18, with all that prominent language, all that exalted status, this first position, God also includes the church in the plan to exalt the Son. You are part of God's plan to exalt the Son. Now for me... Knowing my own heart and knowing who I am and knowing who I was before I came to Christ, that, that, that's mind-blowing. How could I exalt the Son? And God has determined that Christ is is eternal in His glorified position, and that is connected to the church. Look at verse 18 again. He's the firstborn from the dead. It means the church will follow Him. In, in that, He has preeminence. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the first never to die again. And because of that resurrection in heaven, he'll have first place and and will be there. All those will follow him. The church is is in is in this position connected to the to the exalted Christ. Don't ever think that the church is is outmoded or or unimportant. I would say the apostle Paul would would, would just say, well, do you think Christ is, is unimportant? Is the, is the resurrection of, of no purpose? I mean, he connects the resurrection, he connects the exaltation of Christ through all eternity to the church. And he describes the church as, as his body. Jesus is the head and we're his body and they're, they're forever linked. Not only that, the church is, is Christ's bride, right? The body of Christ, the bride of Christ... Ephesians chapter chapter 5, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 5 and verse, verse 22. Uh, premarital counseling language, the love language, the responsibilities between uh, of husbands to wives and, and wives to, to husbands. But this is a metaphor for Christ and, and His bride. Ephesians 5 verse, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in, in everything. And look at verse 32. Paul says, this is a great mystery after he continues on about this relationship between husband and wife. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. In his most perfect of relationships, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And while the church submits and humbly to him, he loves the church. He sanctifies his. The church with his, with his with his blood, he he gives his own life for her. He sanctifies and cleanses the church through the through the word. He Jesus Christ presents the church in in splendor, unmarred by by any perfection. Verse twenty seven tells us, and and biblical metaphors are are given for. To help us understand the mysteries of God more more clearly, the the relationship a husband has with his wife is supposed to be a model of spiritual truth concerning Christ and and his church. I was looking at uh, a, a picture that we have before we before we left. That's on our on our uh, uh, coffee table, and and it's a picture of Tracy and I when uh, when we were when we were really young, and I was was reminded of how young we, we used to be. We've known each other for a long time. We were high school sweethearts. We met when we were 16 years of age. And I'm almost... Uh, am I almost 47 or am I 47? I'm almost 47, okay. And and we met as 16-year-olds, and now we've got a 20-year-old and her own five kids. And uh, frankly, I don't have very many memories apart from her. And some of you don't have... Any memory of being outside of the, the bride of Christ, the church, that's a precious thing. And she's my wife. I have a particular interest in her. And I want to tell you this morning that, that as much as I love my wife, as much as you love your wife, Jesus loves His bride even more. And he's been with her, he's been thinking about her, he's been doting on her a lot longer than, than 16 years of age. In eternity past, he chose his church. And he's been working out this, this amazing plan of redemption. And in heaven, he will be with his bride. And that's, that's, that's all this wedding language throughout the, the Gospels church is presented as the, the bride of Christ. He's purchased her with His own blood. He's preparing a place to bring her. He's returning for her. The, the passage in John chapter 14 that we all love, let not your hearts be troubled, is all about how, how Jesus has, has paid for the bride. and He's going to the Father and He's returning for, for His bride one day. He gained her at personal cost. And just as a sidebar, I would say Jesus doesn't take too kindly to anyone who who tears his bride down or dismisses her. I mean, just as, think about it. You wouldn't let someone come into your home and say really bad things about your wife, would you? If you would, shame on you. I mean, how inhospitable she was, how bad her cooking was, how dirty the house is. And then say, hey, come on back next week and let's do it again. You wouldn't tolerate that. And yet I'm afraid some people think that's okay. Jesus thinks that that that's okay to to do that about the church. And the church is the bride of of Christ. Spurgeon again said, The church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. Christ loved his church. Let Let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more fault in his church than I can. But I have confidence that he sees no fault at all because he covers her faults with his own love. That love which covers a multitude of sins. And he removes all her defilement with that precious blood which washes away all the transgressions of his people, of his bride. It's his body. You should love it because of that. It's his bride. And then there, the Bible talks about how the church is, is Christ's building they're not the physical building. But the church is is being built by the by the Lord by the Lord Himself. In the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, uh, the church is the counterpart to, to this Old Testament temple, the temple being a building and physical, with the presence of God in it, us being being the body, with the, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. It's a it's a spiritual building, first Peter chapter two, verse five says. It's a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, first Corinthians three. It's the place where God's glory is most clearly manifest on on earth. It's the focal point of of spiritual life and and worship for for the redeemed. God Himself is the architect and builder. Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 22. Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of, the, of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is grown into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the, in the Spirit. And we heard in the pastoral prayer this morning the earliest place in the New Testament that the church is mentioned in Matthew 16. Jesus says, and I say unto you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of of Hades shall not prevail against it. There's nothing ever created or, or dreamed in the heart of man like the church. It's my church, Jesus says. He's the possessor. This is his church. And he gives his plan. I will build my church. This, Woodhaven won't go forward on the, 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 the innovation or the, the powerful preaching of Nathan Williams. Or Timberlake won't do that with, with Brian Farrell. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church. He's the builder. And the foundation is the unshakable gospel. That's what, he's, that's what he says to Peter. Upon this rock, upon this, this great confession that you've made, Peter, that flesh and blood didn't reveal to you, but my Father who is in heaven, upon the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And that's the foundation. It's indestructible. There's an absolute assurance of its continuance. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. 1 Corinthians 3 gives a stark warning to anyone who damages the church or or sows division in it or, or tears it down in, in any way. It's the, the body of Christ. You should love it because of that. It's the, the bride of Christ. Jesus loves His bride. You should love His bride as well. It's the, it's the building. He's, it's His church. He's building it. And He will continue to do so. And the church will go beyond the grave. And the church also is the place where where Christ's blessing resides. One of the first passages that that I ever memorized was Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through the end of the the chapter. And in particular, I, I always remember verse 3, because I started there. I started with verse 3, and then went back and memorized verses 1 and 2. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who... Who has blessed us. With every spiritual blessing. And those blessings are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. And you possess. The church possesses. The spiritual blessings. In Christ. All divine blessing. Is ours. Is the church's. All resources. All privilege. All power. All because. The church is in Christ. Don't look for. For. a plan B, don't look for don't look beyond the church for Christ's blessing. God is gracious and He is kind. The sun rises on the just as well as the unjust. He is is good. But this is the place where all the spiritual blessings reside. The Christian life was never meant to be an individual or private endeavor. It's it's an assembly of, of believers and those believers, you, are in Christ and I think we tend to think of Christianity as an individual thing, and I don't know where that comes from. You know, from a you know, from a uh, we're Baptists, so uh, I don't know whether it's a, a fear of Catholicism or what. We don't we don't like to say we. You know, Jesus is our personal Savior, and He is. He's, we have a, an individual plan of salvation, and God does have an individual plan in, in, in eternity for 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 you. And we think of Jesus dying for for me. And while all of that's true, the Bible talks a lot about we. It talks a lot about the church. And Christianity is as much plural as it is singular. And that plural is, 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 yes, the body of Christ throughout the world, but it's physically, specifically manifest here in this local assembly of being gathered together. And when you... When you operate apart from that, when you get too individual, you're you're tempted to to rely on your own sufficiency. And you operate in limited strength, limited wisdom, and limited blessing. That's the blessing of Christ. And finally, it's the the bounty. It's Christ's bounty. In Revelation chapter 4, verses... Well, really the whole chapter, in chapter 5... Here's a picture of the beginning of the end. It's the scene right before Christ comes to judge the earth. And Jesus said when he, when he came the first time, it wasn't to judge, but it was to accomplish the work of salvation on the cross. And He came as the, as the Lamb of God. But the next time He comes, He's coming as the Lion of, of Judah with His vesture dipped in blood. He's going to come as a judge. And right before that scene begins to unfold in Revelation, after the, the letters to the seven churches, after the vision that John gets of, of Christ, there's this throne room scene where John sees the throne room and Christ is glorious and He's declared worthy through through the worship. And then John sees this, this strange thing, the Father with a scroll, and no one found worthy to take the scroll from the from the Father's hand and read its contents. And then in in Revelation 5, 5, this this thunderclap verse, one of the elders says to, to John, Do not weep, or weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And behold, I I looked, and in the midst of the throne and of the four living elders, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. And right after Jesus goes and takes the scroll, he's worshipped with a a new song, it says. Look at verse 8. It says, Now when he would taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is he worthy? Because he was slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every." tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the the earth. He's worshipped with a new song. The song recounts His worthiness because of His work that He was slain and His reward are those individuals that He's won. You've redeemed us by Your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every nation made us kings and priests. Christ's reward is bounty in, is his glorified place in eternity with the people that he want. He has the right to judge those who reject him and he has the right to reign he's, he's earned the right to reign those who have received him. And the church right now right here this morning is is a gathering of those people, part of those people on earth, until He comes. And until this, this day, it's, it's amazing. How important is the church? It's the body of Christ. It's, it's His bride. It's, it's His building. It's, it's building up a holy temple. It's, it has His blessings, and it's, it is His reward. And Jesus loves His church. And, and you want to know how He expresses that great love? And that's the introduction. I'll turn over to Ephesians 4. How does Christ express express His love after the cross? We know that He expresses His love to us by going to the cross and shedding blood and absorbing the wrath of Almighty God on, on our behalf. But Ephesians 4 tells us how Christ expresses His great love. Look at verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He talks about ascending up on high and and leading captivity captive. He gives gifts to men. And look at the gifts in verse 11. What did Christ give? What is this grace that he's talking about that Christ gave to his church out of his great love? In verse 11. He gave some to be apostles and some prophets. They're gone. They laid the foundation of the church. And building on that foundation, that foundation with Christ as the chief cornerstone, he also gave evangelists. Those are missionaries that go out, proclaim the gospel, and he gave some pastors and teachers. It describes how Christ won gifts through his suffering on the cross... And then out of his great love for his bride, he gives those gifts that he won back to his church. And he gives specifically apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. Nathan and Bethany. And your pastors that preceded them. Nathan in particular is an expression of Christ's love to you. That's what that passage says. Why? Why? Because, in verse 12, He gave those gifts for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are three prepositional phrases there, and each subordinate to each other, given to you as a gift to prepare you for additional work. What's that additional work? The, there's the work of serving the body, and till the body is, is built up, is edified, you know in teaching and preaching and praying and and leading, to prepare you to minister. And maturity is the purpose, so that that you would be be built up. The goal is to attain the, the maturity of Christ, and the fullness of Christ, verse 13 says. And the goal is unto a mature man. Someone who's full grown. And the goal of the church is... Is corporate maturity, not just individual maturity. It means that work continues until the church manifests the characteristics of Christ. Does, does, does this church manifest some characteristics of Christ? No doubt it does. Does it manifest all of them? No. Neither does Timberlake. The work is, is still underway. And if it's that important to Christ, it should be that important to us. I love the way that one writer put why we should love the church. Don't love the church because of what it does for you because sooner or later it won't do enough. Don't love the church because of a leader because human leaders are fallible and will let you down. Don't love the church because of a program or a building or activities because all of those get old. Don't love the church because of a certain group of friends because friendships change and people move. Love the church because of who shed his blood to obtain the church. Love the church because of who the church belongs to. Love the church because of who the church worships. Love the church because of because you love Jesus Christ in his glory. Love the church because Jesus is worthy and faithful and true. Love the church because Jesus loves the church. And you will express your love to Christ by loving the gift. That he has given to you. Loving your pastor. And you do that regularly and tangibly and in prayer. Treat the gift that Christ has won and has given back to his church. Based on the worth of the giver. Jesus himself. Not on the worth of the pastor. Because men are frail. And fallible. But Jesus is worthy, isn't he? He's worthy of our praise. And he's worthy of our love and our service. Let me pray with you. Father, as we just bow before you this morning, we praise you for this this reminder of how precious your church is. And all of the ways that you describe her in in the Word and all that you've done in in eternity past and in the cross and all that you promised that you will do in sanctification and glorification. Thank you, Lord, specifically. Until all of that takes place, you express your love, Lord Jesus, to your church by giving individuals that you have won back to her to serve her. And I thank you in particular for this this man, this couple that you've given to, to Woodhaven Bible Church, Nathan Williams, his wife Bethany and family. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. I pray that you would bless this church. And I pray, Father, that, that this church would, would continue to be faithful to the gospel, to continue to, to love this family, love the world, and love Jesus based upon the worth of the giver being Jesus himself. We thank you, Lord. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Brothers, we're going to lay hands on Pastor Nathan. And, of course, this uh, practice of laying on of hands is something that is seen in various ways throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, I look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 just to give you kind of a flavor, a little bit of an example of it being used. In 1 Timothy 4.14, Uh Paul makes a, a reference to the time that they laid hands on young Timothy when he was called into the ministry. And in chapter 5, verse 22, he makes this uh, kind of in a ne- negative vein, but he says in uh, 1 Timothy 5, 22, it says, Lay hands subtly on no man, neither be partakers of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. And so laying on of hands is not something that's to be done hastily or quickly or carelessly, And, of course, that was the exhortation to Timothy because he would bear that responsibility of putting someone in a position of leadership that really has no business being there. And so we see different ways and the way it's used. But for us this morning, uh, as the pastoral search committee kind of gathered together and as we assembled that and as elders, uh, I mean, you could not miss – I guess you could say the spirit of unity amongst us in regards to, to to Nathan, and uh we truly believe that the Lord has brought him here uh when you you can ask anyone that was on the search committee or the or the elder board when we look through the details and how god has had really worked and orchestrated through much prayer, we truly believe uh he's the man for our church and to teach in a full time capacity here. And so we thank the Lord for that. But there, this unity, and as as we talk about this spirit of unity among the the elder board and, and the pastoral search committee, in a public fashion, we want to lay hands on him and, and just publicly affirm, you know, that idea of his call here. Uh, and so that's what we want to do at this time. And so if, if the elders would come forth, and uh, sure, come on, David. <laughs> <laughs> that would include this. Yes. And so I guess we can just gather around, I imagine, and we'll just lay hands and, and I'll lead, the, lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your great blessings on this church, and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, as mentioned so much. We thank you for your care for the church, Lord, and how you love that it. it was demonstrated through the message. We thank you so much, Lord, for bringing uh, Pastor Nathan Williams to our church to take on this ministry here in a full-time capacity. Uh, And we thank you so much for your work and how you worked out the details and how you answered uh, the many prayers, Lord. And, Father, we want to give you thanks and praise for that. And as elders, as fellow shepherds, we want to stand with uh, Pastor Nathan. We want to support him. We want to affirm uh, his right to function in a position of leadership in this church body. We want to come alongside of him. We want to uh, work with him to help care for, you know, and nurture God's flock in a way that glorifies the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we would ask that you would help us to be faithful in doing your will, your way. Help us to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we might truly glorify your name in all that we do. And we want to pray for Pastor Nathan, that he would have a, a rich and fruitful ministry here at the Woodhaven Bible Church. And, Father, we want to give you the glory and praise for your work in our hearts. We thank you again for this local church, Lord. And, again, we just want to just praise you for the great God that you are. And we will we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Well... We would like to invite you all to a, I guess, a luncheon downstairs. It's a more snack food with uh, lots of sandwiches and veggies and all kinds of stuff that uh, Danny and Connie Watson and others have put together for us. Uh, so we have tons of food. Uh, so everybody is invited to come down there to congratulate Nathan, to uh, meet him and his family, uh, and to just fellowship as the body of Christ uh, together, and also to uh, meet pastor brian and thank him for his message today Uh, so with that if you could please stand for the benediction we'll be reading from jude 24 and 25 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen